From St. Luke's Gospel, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hello. So, uh, there's an expression that I made up. You ready? Everybody's got something. Is that fair? Health issues, relationship issues, money worries, you know what I mean. And, and if we ever had any doubt in our mind that everybody's got something, all you got to do is live for a season in Corona Tide, and you will be, it becomes very clear that we are living in a situation where everybody has something to deal with in life. Now, if you don't know me, I am a pretty optimistic person in terms of how God unfolds his plan in my life. I'm not terribly optimistic about human nature. That's another story. But I am pretty optimistic about how God unravels his plan in our lives because, frankly, I believe in Jesus, and I know how the story ends. But here's the thing. The fact of the matter is this, and let's just come clean and say it, right? That life is oftentimes a struggle. It's oftentimes really difficult. Everybody's got something. And I'll give you a, a, a psalm I came across uh, last week. As a priest, actually any person can do this, but as a priest, part of my vow is to pray the daily office, morning and evening prayer every day. And so we run through the Psalter, pretty much the entire psalms uh, in the course of a month. And just last week, Psalm 90 was appointed as the psalm for the day. And verse 10, man, it leapt off the page for me. And I've read this 50 times, I mean, every year. Psalm 90, verse 10. Ready? Ready? Seventy years are given to us. Some even live to 80. But even the best years are filled with pain and trouble. Soon they disappear and we fly away. Merry Christmas. <laughs> now, I've read that psalm over and over again, and I think we have to conclude that the psalmist is actually true. Everybody's got something going on, right? Everybody's got something in their life that they're wrestling with, and if you don't have something you're wrestling with right now, just wait, because you will. But here's the, here's the question. Is this idea of, of struggle a message of despair? Sounds like it. The psalm sounds like, you know, awfully nihilistic, right? Put a bullet in it, after all, if life is that miserable. But it's actually not a message of despair. It's actually a message of truth, but also a message of joy. And I submit to you a message of perseverance and victory for those who believe in Jesus Christ. It all depends, life does, and the struggles we face, it all depends on how you look at it. So how do we as Christians claim victory in the midst of struggle? How do you and I, friends, deal with the world in which we live, which we all know has all sorts of things going on? How do we deal with this and not just suffer from despair, but rather keep our heads up and eyes forward waiting for better times? Well, the answer is simple, that Jesus has been baptized for us. It may not be obvious, but it will be in a minute. Two points today. In the midst of our struggle, we see two things occur this morning. A God, Jesus, who identifies with us, point one. And then secondly, the God who sets us free, point number two. So the God, what, what we see in, in Jesus' baptism this morning is a God who identifies with us in our brokenness. And secondly, a God who sets us free from that. So a little backstory here. If you don't know what's going on, you know, we read this text 
If this sounds familiar to you, I just preached on this text on Advent 1. We read the story of John the Baptist and Jesus' baptism twice a year, Advent 1 and the, season, the Sunday after the Epiphany. And as you know, uh, everybody in Jerusalem goes out to hear John the Baptist preach a very fun, uplifting sermon, you brood of vipers, right? And they come running, man. They can't get enough because what John says is true. I preach this in Advent 1 if you're curious. But then in Matthew's gospel, uh, he gives us a little bit more information that's going on here. Let me show you what's going on. Jesus goes to John. Right? So everybody goes out to John to be baptized, this brood of vipers, which, by the way, he's referring to Jesus, too, in that crowd. I'd never thought about that before. But Jesus goes out to John and says, John, you need to baptize me. Now, that might not seem very strange to you. Uh, people come to me to ask me to baptize their kids all the time. But to John, if you know the text, John is completely scandalized. Jesus says, John, I want you to baptize me. And, Jesus, and John says, Jesus, are you are you crazy? It's not me that should baptize you, but you that should baptize me. And then Jesus says, let it be now to fulfill all righteousness. I'll get to that in a second. But I want to just show you, just stop there and just look at what's going on the dynamic here. John is confused. Why does Jesus need to be baptized? John is confused, and maybe some of you are too. Lots of people are. But here's the thing. John is confused for an entirely different reason than you are. I've, I've baptized, I don't know how many kids in my life. I was baptized myself. Many of you, I would presume most, if not all of you, were baptized either as children or as an adult. Somebody poured water on your head and said, I baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. That's not what John's doing. That is not what John is doing. John, and it doesn't answer the question, it makes it a little bit stranger, actually. What John is actually doing is baptizing all of these people coming out to him to the River Jordan, and something called a, listen, a baptism of repentance, a baptism of repentance. And what is that? Stay with me. The baptism of repentance. Everybody comes out to John. This brood of vipers comes out to hear what he has to say, and what they would do is they would stand by the Jordan River, and they would proclaim their sins. Matthew says this. They would proclaim all the things they did wrong in the past year, the past five years. They would lay it all out for the crowd, and then John would take them and ritually wash them, rinse water over them as a baptism of repentance. What's going on here is that these people are coming out to John, admitting their sins, admitting their brokenness, and saying, I intend to live differently. I intend to live a new life. I'm tired of the way I feel. I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired, somebody once said to me. And if that sounds weird to you, we all do this. Anybody here make a New Year's resolution this year? Anybody? I've made the same one for 30 years, and I never keep it. And, if, and statistically, they say that by January the 11th, I think it is, pretty much after that point, pretty much it's gone by the wayside. But, but I want, the point I want you to see there is this whole idea of a New Year's resolution shows us something very important about human nature. We all know we should be better than we are. We all know intrinsically that no matter how good we are doing, we should be doing better. No matter how, much we, how hard we try, we never get it right. And the acknowledgement of that fact is the fancy word, repent. If you made a New Year's resolution, guess what you did, friends? Metanoia, repent. 
And it means simply this, that you acknowledge something is wrong, you're doing something you shouldn't be doing, or you're not doing something that you should be doing, either way, a sin of omission or commission. But whatever it is, it's something that you should or should not be doing, and you intend to live differently. That is what repentance is all about. And this is why, friends, John the Baptist is so freaked out. Because here is Jesus, the sinless Son of God. In John's gospel, John the Baptist says, when Jesus comes to him, John says about John the Baptist, Behold the Lamb of God. Behold him that takes away the sins of the world. So why is Jesus coming to John to be baptized? What is Jesus repenting of? That's my first point. We see this super cool idea here. That we see a God, Jesus Christ, who identifies with us, identifies with you. You know, it's interesting, uh, we make a mistake as modern 21st century post-enlightenment individualistic capitalists. I'm not knocking any of that stuff, but that's the worldview in which we live. And we forget that people don't always think the way that we do. And in the ancient Near East, people had this idea of one person could represent a whole group of people. We've got sort of something like this, thinking about it, like Abraham Lincoln during the Civil War or Winston Churchill and that famous uh, never give up, never give up speech. I love that. We have this idea that we can have a, a political leader or a military leader or a rock star or somebody who kind of epitomizes and represents the things that we aspire to, but it, the Old Testament and the Scriptures go a lot deeper than that. The idea here is you can actually have one person, an individual that represents the entire group, I'll give you one very quick example. You know, um, after the wise men visit Jesus, right, and they go, and Herod figures it out, and he goes, and he, uh, Herod sends soldiers to Bethlehem to kill all the children under the age of two, the Feast of the Holy Innocents. You know that, right? And we know that when, that Joseph gets wind of this, he knows they're coming to, to kill Jesus and the family, and so Jesus, so Joseph takes Mary and Jesus, and they flee to where? Egypt, right? And then the text, you've you've heard this a million times, they leave for Egypt, and Matthew says, it's in Matthew chapter 2, verse 15, and this fulfills the prophecy, out of Egypt I called my son, Hosea 11.1. Hosea 11 is not referring to one person, but to the nation of Israel. In other words, the Old Testament prophecy was about the old, that uh, out of Egypt I called my son was the people leaving under Moses. But here we see that Jesus in one man represents the entire Israel nation. The point is that I want, if I lost you there, just stay with me for a sec. The idea here is simply this, that we see in Scripture the idea that one person, one man, Jesus, the Son of God, which also is a reference to the nation of Israel in the Old Testament, The Son of God represents all of us, the group, before our Father in heaven. That Jesus Christ does not repent of his own sins, but yours, and yours, and yours, and mine. The point I want you to see, this is so profound, that Jesus Christ literally identifies with you in your brokenness. I said a minute ago, I said a minute ago, Everybody's got something. Amen? Everybody's got something. Jesus identifies with you in that spot. 
Don't think so narrowly that all Jesus does comes is to free you from your sin. This idea of burdens and worries, the things that you carry, the anxieties, the stresses you have in your life, he carries that too. You know, I was talking to a friend of mine. His name is Father Wes Shields. He's the new rector of St. Augustine's of Canterbury, the Episcopal Church outside west of town. And he had a dinner. He and I had a beer at the Walking Tree on Thursday night. Yeah. And um, anyway, we're just chatting about ministry and how things are going. And he had a really cool thing that he did a couple of weeks ago where they had a potluck dinner, and he asked the people that were there to, if they wanted to, they didn't have to, uh, if they wanted to stand up and talk about something they had lost in 2021. It's a great idea. It's actually not unlike John the Baptist having people coming out to the Jordan River and confessing their sins. Tell me something you've lost from 2021, he said. And some people did, most didn't, but a few did. And the, and the exercise was simply to take those things, the stuff you've lost, and lay it at the feet of Jesus. And I'm going to rip off Father West, and I'm going to ask you that very same question. What was something that you lost in 2021? Maybe you lost a loved one who died last year. Maybe you lost some, maybe it's some sort of financial hardship. Maybe you lost a job. Maybe you lost a relationship with one of your kids or a friend. I don't know. At the very least, you lost another year. <laughs> Merry Christmas. Um, the point, though, what I want you to see here is that when Christ is, is baptized, he identifies with you. He bears your burdens with you. He bears your burdens, your sins, your brokenness in your place and in mine. So let me just ask, issue you a, a challenge today to bring your burdens to Jesus. St. Peter says this very thing in 1 Peter 5, 18. Humble yourselves, which means put God first. Get out of your own way. Put God first and cast all your anxieties on him. And that word is a broad word, all the trash of your life. He says, humble yourself, get out of your own way, cast all of your anxieties upon him because he cares for you. You know, many of you may know I'm the current president of the standing committee of the diocese. I'm getting ready to leave that. Thank you, Jesus. And I'm getting ready to take on another big project I can't tell you about, but I'll tell you uh, in a couple of weeks. It's a, it's a good thing. It's a lot of work, though. It's a new big project I have coming along. And I'll tell you something. This has been a source of stress for me at trying to organize these big teams to kind of pull off a big project. And I don't usually worry, but this past week I did. And I was off my game, and as it usually happens when I'm off my game and I'm not focusing on Jesus, but I'm not being humble and putting him first, I begin to worry and I begin to get fearful and I begin to get anxious. And I was reminded, as I read my own sermon, by the way, that I am reminded by Scripture to cast all of my burdens upon Christ. All of it. Tauta is the Greek word. It means everything, man. The, the full shoot match, the whole gorilla, whatever you want to say. Cast all that upon him because he loves me. You know, I had a spiritual director in seminary. His name was Father Don Gross. May he rest in peace. He was, he was a psychologist. He was the diocesan exorcist, and he was my spiritual director. So, man, I got the full mother load in that one. And I was telling him once about something I was worried about. I can't remember what it was. And uh, I've said this, shared this with you before. He said, look, he said, Rodriguez, this is simple. He said, get out of your own way. Cast your anxieties upon the Lord because he loves you. He identifies with you. He struggles with you. He says, 
here's what I want you to do. <laughs> it's simple. Write this. If you get one thing from today, write this down. Do what you can do, say your prayers, and go to bed. That's good advice. Do what you can do, say your prayers, and go to bed. And what I'm trying to point out to you this morning simply is this, that Jesus in his baptism identifies with us in our brokenness, in our worries, in our fears, and our anxieties. Cast it all upon him. And so we also see a God, we see a God who identifies with us, thankfully, and we also see a God who, because he identifies with us, sets us free. I, I want you to, um, I want you to, I don't want to say dream with me, but I'll say imagine, imagine a world where you were free. Imagine a world, and I, I don't mean like John Lennon's song from the 60s. I mean like, I mean like a world where you were actually not burdened by the things that you carry. Imagine the, imagine the thing that you really want in your heart, which is to be content. Imagine a world where you were truly free from all the trash that you carry. You're truly unburdened by the sins or the guilt or the shame or the worry or the fears that you carry. Imagine that for a minute. Friends, everybody in this room has got something. Everybody in this room has a past. Everybody's got something. Things that have happened to you, good and bad, joys and hurts. Things you've done to other people, good and bad. Listen, if you hang on to those things, and most of us do, because we're controllers and we're fearful, and we don't really trust God like we should, but if you hang on to those things, they will affect you. They will control you. They will consume you like a parasite. What if you had real freedom? Well, Jesus' baptism, his it's the first thing he does, by the way. His inaugural act is at the very heart of the gospel. I mean, think about that. The first thing Jesus does is not issue as a religious leader, you know, a strategic plan or a five-year uh, commitment to you know, getting uh, growth. He doesn't get, come out with a, a, a 95 theses nailed on the door of a cathedral somewhere. He doesn't even come up for us, doesn't write a book. What he does, the first thing he does, the very core of his mission is to be baptized. And the reason is simply for one reason, so that you and I, friends, can be set free. We can be made right with God, not by what we do, but by what he does in our place and the burdens that he carries for us. That we, friends, can be set free by Jesus who takes our sins upon himself and sets you and I free. You know, we are coming up on stewardship season in a couple of weeks. Stewardship season here is short, thankfully. Uh, and I want to say this, my brothers and sisters, that, you know, the the whole reason we exist as a church is for this very reason, which is to preach the gospel, to live lives of men and women who, are, who have been freed and are seeking real freedom, who have been forgiven and are seeking to be really forgiven and live into that. Our mission as a church is to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, to show us that God in his act takes our burdens upon himself and frees us from them. Our reason for existence is simply that, to be stewards of the gospel, the life-changing mission that Jesus Christ changes lives for good, and that peace with God is not something we can earn, but that he has earned for us in our place. You know, the church is not a charity. 
We are not a social service organization. We are not an advocacy group. Some churches are, to their shame. We, friends, are the family of God whom Christ identifies with, and our mission is to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ, this message of identity and freedom that Christ gives to us this morning in his baptism. But we are called to testify as broken people whom everybody's got something. But us, we have brought that something to Christ, and he is freeing us from it. Let me challenge you this morning to cast your burdens upon the Lord, to take your trash and put it on his shoulders. He can take it. He will take it, and he will set you free. Shall we pray, Father, we come to you this morning in honesty that everybody's got something. And we, pull, we come to you this morning as men and women who are seeking freedom. We thank you for Jesus who identifies with us, who takes our burdens, our worries, our fears, our anxieties upon himself and sets us free by his death on the cross in our place. Help us alive, lead lives of victory, knowing that Jesus has set us free. Help us to live lives that really believe that. In his name we pray. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to our Trinity Episcopal Church podcast. To find out more about the work God is doing through Trinity, visit us online at trinitybureau.org and follow us on Facebook.